There's our music, Anthony. You know what it means. We're back. We're back. <laughs> we are back. Yes. With a special guest. Yes. We've got we've got a plus one this week. <laughs> nice. Kyle <laughs> Lentner. So our friends at K Ratio, Lentner, yeah. Kyle, for the for the afternoon. I'm here on lease. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, Kyle, you've spent a lot of time. Uh, dealing with uh, with with freight, right? Uh, yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> Nineteen months total. <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen months, total. long enough. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had we've had a pretty crazy run here in the last nineteen months. The nineteen months I've yeah, been having yeah. crazy. Yeah. So what, what? I mean, tell me about that. Like, what was your? Uh, what, what was that like? I mean, entering the space and then being like, hey. <laughs> is it, was this normal? Is it not normal? <laughs> Just is it, why is this different? Um, I mean, I came into this uh, June 18. Mm-hmm. So if we can all think back to that, uh, rates were a lot different. Quite a bit different. Things so you looked came a lot in, different. You came in at the top. And, right. Yeah. And things were crazy. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is an industry with volatility and, and it's busy and everyone's, well, not everyone, but if you're a carrier in a 3PL, you're probably making a lot of money. Right. And then, uh, you know, fast forward six, seven months later and things are a lot different. Right. <laughs> and then fast forward to today and things are different from 18, but similar to 19. Sure. Um, rapid movement in the cycles. Yes, quite a bit. So tell everybody kind of, you know, well, first of all, I guess we should welcome everybody to Freightonomics. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. This is where we talk about freight and current conditions and, and relate it to the economic cycles. Yeah. Of the United States of America and sometimes the world. Currently, you're battling, was this SAD? Yes, SAD. Seasonal Affective Disorder. Mm. Okay. With and these lights? <laughs> <laughs> not in here. Not in here. Anthony helps me also. I, I try to keep it pretty chipper. Do you guys have a hard time falling asleep at night if you've been in here for a while? <laughs> I wear sunscreen too. Yeah. yeah. It's a plus. <laughs> yeah. And today we're going to cover, you know, a plethora of topics. Yeah. Mainly uh, covering these cycles of the economy and the freight market itself and how they are sometimes, uh, you know, a little disconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these things called freight recessions. Yeah. What you were talking about just a minute ago, Kyle, was uh, not a freight recession, <laughs> mm. but it did inspire what we did label a, a freight recession last year, yeah. uh, 2019. And, you know, Anthony, if you want to, let's just dive right into what yeah, a freight recession let's is. Let's do it. So looking at a, a freight recession, knowing what a re- recession is in general, one of the mm-hmm. textbooks conditions for a recession is two consecutive quarters of contraction and a particular metric. And so that's going to be our, our gauge here. And so what we're looking at, uh, a freight recession versus a typical economic recession, they're not quite the same because when we're looking at the general economy, when we're looking at GDP, mm-hmm. that's going to be measured on uh, gross domestic product, which is really uh, heavily favored to services and the consumer side of things. Right. We're looking at the freight side, that's going to be more uh, geared towards uh, industrial segments, and really, we're looking at two consecutive quarters, that correct me if I'm wrong, of uh, contraction for we're looking at freight volumes. Yeah, and we look at it from a year-over-year perspective. Yeah. You know, it's it's got to be year-over-year growth because the freight market is extremely seasonal. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows, but there's, you know, quite a bit of regularity in terms of the, uh, the seasonal movement. But the difference is, is that sometimes those peaks and valleys are higher and lower. Yeah. So that's that's the big difference. And I think most of us uh, have agreed that it's more of a demand side thing. Right. So freight volume, as it increases or contracts, 
that's really what we we drive that off of even right. though even though spot rates which is something you've grown <laughs> yeah and that's familiar. an important point everybody yeah. always wants to attribute these things to price yeah. when really it should be measured in volume right it should be about demand that's what's really dictating if it's a recession or not because price is independent of what's going on especially if we talk about things like the US economy For we're sure. going to translate that into freight all we should care about is how much freight is being moved not at what rate right and and the prices are also uh, very sensitive to things like you know single surges or you know yeah. like spikes weather. in demand or weather hurricanes yeah. for instance are one of the mm-hmm. single biggest contributing factors to price side uh, you know in, increases so i think that's a and a very important thing to note is that it's not in the freight economy when you're talking about you know everybody's like well what's wrong with you you work in trucking and yeah it's you know we're not in a recession it's not well, yeah yeah it, it actually does you know it we're totally insulated from that service side right uh, you know to a point and the uh, you know when when we're not making as much stuff, which we're not making as much stuff, mm-hmm. but we do import quite a bit. We import a good deal, <laughs> a lot. yeah, yeah. Uh, so that does lend itself to creating these uh, volatile market spikes. So, right. yeah, so we're not in a freight recession right now. We did, you know, by our measurements, come out of one mm-hmm. here in the last half of 2019, and we do we are starting to see that impact in the spot market. Right, um, Kyle, you've you've you know watched this quite closely over the last several months. What are the, some of the things that uh, you're noticing that's different in the back half of 2019 versus 2018? Well, one thing, and I'd like to get both of your perspectives on this. Uh, this is an idea that plays out in my mind. Uh, part of me thinks that where we are with rates could be the new normal. Maybe we don't see a return to 18 or 17 in prices because obviously capacity. Let's ignore that for this right now. Um, the increase in efficiency from automation from digitization, um, lower overhead as far as workforce is concerned, those all contribute to the overhead in the bottom line of a carrier or even a 3PL. So if that's removed, or at least a portion of that's removed, the rate supplied to the customer is different and now lower. Maybe we're all just moving better now at these prices. And this isn't, I know we, we were talking about freight recession in terms of volumes, but from a price standpoint, maybe this is the way that it is. And what happened from 18 to 19 that forced it was just something that we have to deal with. And now from 2020 and beyond, we're going to have to figure out how to make things work with these prices that we have. And that's a, that's an interesting point too, because normally, you know, we're all, you know, in the rest of the economy, Anthony, you can dive in on this one. We kind of are grown accustomed to, we've grown accustomed to CPI and PPI. Mm -hmm. It's a constant, like two to 3% year over year increase. Yeah. You just expect it's inflation. Right. And, you know, in the freight market, having been in it for 15 years and run pricing for a long time, uh, it does not seem to be on that same uh, pattern. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we were, we were lucky to net a percent mm-hmm. in flat years or, or, you know, even up years <laughs> we were, right. we were happy to get because it's so competitive. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it is so, you know, especially in your contracted accounts. Now the spot market's a totally different story. Um, which depending on your exposure to that is extremely volatile on day to day, uh, activity. But, you know, that, that's something that I don't, you know, I, th- I think you're, you're onto something in terms of the new normal, but we have seen a few things change here in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 2018, you know, was a year that everybody just considers an anomaly, you know, it is, <laughs> it's, well, but that's part of my thinking is let's, let's take everything pre ELD and just forget about it. Right. Because you could have been running your truck for 20 hours a day and no one knows. Right. Now that we're all operating under the same guidelines, we have some decent standardization across the industry. 
now we can begin to make the ideas and the conclusions and come up with these discussions about what is a real good price, what is an effective price, what's a fair market value, instead of company A staying within the rules and, and charging this and then company B not. Right. That's artificial capacity, and that's been removed from the industry. So now maybe moving forward, maybe 2019 beyond, we get something more similar to CPI or PPI where we get half a percent increase a year just as a, a standard cola, basically, right. for freight. Prior to that, yeah, who knows? I Throw mean, anything out there. Well, so again, speaking from a pricing analyst side of things, <laughs> I always want the rate increase. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I was always, I've, I was really teased off every time I didn't get my, my 2 to 3%. Uh, cost of living increase. Everybody likes a <laughs> uh, rally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and again, I think this 2018 left its mark in a different way. Uh, not necessarily on like, you know, everybody just thinks it's an anomaly. It'll go back to the way it was, you know, prices have not come all the way back down, mm-hmm. uh, from pre 2008 to pre 2018 levels. Um, and I think that's a byproduct of costs having increased. I think yeah. there's, there's simply like, you know, there's going to be these barriers, to, you know, these bottoms that you cannot go down below. Like carriers are going to do the math and say, well, pre-2017, 18, it cost me, you know, this amount of money to own a truck. Well, all those people that experienced this robust economy in 2018, they took their rate increases and then they passed them along to the carrier. Right. So the carrier's math is now going to have increased by all those figures. And unless you have a true economic recession, which we're not in, uh, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to just pull those back. Right. Like not in freight, 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 they'll pull back. Like carriers are stupid. (laughs) 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 I've, I've been a carrier and I can say that it's kind of like the, the Seinfeld episode where it's that, what was it? The dentist jokes. Oh, uh, never seen an episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? Not time for that yet. (laughs) We're not in the last part of the show. Right. Right. We can't anger everyone. We can't upset the rest of the world. Also real quick. Uh, I am watching LinkedIn and YouTube. So the comments are up. So if you have any uh, (laughs) questions for Zach, myself or Kyle here, uh, feel free to voice those and we'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on that carriers are stupid. (laughs) I expect a few of those. And again, I'm saying this because I was a carrier and I did, uh, get involved in those discussions quite often. And, you know, we didn't, really, you know, take advantage of opportunities because we were so beat down uh, by this mentality that, hey, we have to go lower. We have to get our costs lower and just push them down because the market is so competitive. And and again, there's a lot of truth in that. You can't, when you are operating in an environment where most of your uh, capacity is competition, <laughs> yeah, uh, you just, you don't have much of a choice. Right. Uh, but there are things that you can do uh, to, you know, help yourself get through those, especially by differentiating yourself, uh, becoming a little bit different, you know, investing in technology. But there's also things, you know, I don't know, Kyle, if you've heard about this, but Freight Waves has something called Freight Futures. Huh. There's, no. there's, there's, you there's, know, there's, I was one the hallway walking down here and somebody <laughs> asked if I had heard of it. That's tools or technology that needs to be adopted, right? Yeah, I mean, it's again, even if you don't adopt like technology or something, now we're 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 in an environment, we're in an economy where there's so much innovation, there's so much happening there, and if you're and if you're just sitting there and not, and I, I'm not going to try to turn this into a commercial or anything like that, but it's, yeah, I think it's you know, as a finance guy, I grew up in finance. My dad was a stockbroker, and uh, you know, I was a finance major. Never thought I'd end up in trucking, <laughs> um, but I did. But it's, it's a fascinating space, really. But the fact that we have figured out a way to tie in, 
you know, this financial mm-hmm. instrument to trucking itself is, right. is amazing to me. Now, uh, you've had a lot of, you know, you've put a lot of work into this. You guys, you know, kind of ride hard for the futures flag here. And we do. And, uh, you know, I'd like to hear your take on, you know, what you've seen here over the last year or so, uh, you know, and, you know, a lot of times people are, you know, they look at these instruments and they've seen trading spaces or something like that and they get real nervous. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it kind of shines some light on like what a freight future is and how people can potentially use this item, especially, you know, if you're not investing in technology, but this is not something that requires that kind of investment. It isn't. It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's at the end of the day, pretty simple. It's not that complex. We're just trading the price of a truck from A to B, really. So if you're a shipper or a carrier or a 3PL, you are fixing and locking in the rate that that truck will go for, whether you're paying it or receiving it. And we're talking about something that's 5 to 14% cost of goods sold for a shipper. If you're a carrier or, or a broker, it's 100% of your revenue. Why you would want to let that float is beyond me. <laughs> uh, so this product, you can do every single month for up to 16 months, effectively locking in what you're going to pay or receive. Uh, it's an almost no-brainer. Uh, this truthfully exists in every other industry. Uh, it just hasn't existed in freight for some of the troubles and the problems that are in freight, but you guys figured it out. <laughs> you standardized and commoditized this space, and uh, you know that monumental task has allowed for now proper risk management instead of this poor practices of just letting stuff float and saying, you know, whatever, whatever comes, comes. Yeah, because they're, they're technically, I mean, you're at the mercy of the market movement right. as it stands today. Now, as a in person— an extremely volatile one, right? Ex- exactly. I, I, and, and again, we've seen that pendulum swing— both directions yep. mm-hmm. violently over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we went from the most robust freight market in, well, yeah, at, at least that I remember, yeah. <laughs> uh, to uh, one of the softest ones in 2019. Now, it wasn't necessarily that demand contracted that much. I mean, we did see a softer year in general, but I, I think the fact that everybody got so hyped up, the rates went up yep. so fast. I think it was a 20 to 30% increase on the spot side. Yeah, thirty-six percent, um, I think. On on yeah, so yeah, you would know it better than me. And the uh, and then it just we almost erased almost all of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's a good point. So here, the, the market responded exactly how it's supposed to, right? Price is just a mechanism to display the supply and demand. And if we get the price so high, we're supposed to respond as an industry with more trucks. Yeah. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. The problem is, this market is so fragmented, and there's no communication or there's no standard procedure across the board that. Right. Nobody knows what their neighbor is doing. Yeah. So everybody decides, well, I'm going to order 50 new trucks when maybe they should have ordered 20. Right. Too many trucks show up and then obviously everybody over the other side of the boat too quickly. Price corrects negatively, but it didn't behave in a way that it shouldn't. No. We needed more trucks. It's just we got too many trucks. Yeah. It's a natural equilibrium. And that's an ancillary benefit that futures that you don't actually have to even participate in them to take some of the benefits from it. If, If you have a mechanism that is displaying price to you mm-hmm. and you can see reasonably what you could receive for your trucks. You can make better judgments and better decisions with your company as far as what you're going to acquire from a, an asset standpoint. And then even if we're going to get one step further into funding it, well, now if you can lock in those revenues, you can reasonably have the money to pay for the trucks when exactly. they show up instead of just turning back like everybody said. And you're, you're almost guaranteeing the fact right. that you're going to make X amount of dollars. Based on your activity. That's exactly what it is. And that's, you know, from a budgetary standpoint. So I used to make budgets back in the day as a financial analyst. And the budget process Wizardry. is <laughs> is just awful. Yeah. Um, and most people, 
that I know that I've talked to, maybe there's somebody out there that's figured this out a little bit more scientifically than me, but end of the day, you have so many line items that you have to go through, so many things that you've got to project, and you can get all of your expenses to the penny, mm-hmm. but the one thing that, n- that I've never seen anybody get right is the revenue right. side, and they, they just it, they cannot forecast their revenue uh, effectively over the course of a year, right. and the further you get into the year, the harder it gets, you know, the further away from your budgets. Yeah. You know, my wife's a physical therapist. She goes through the exact same process. And towards the end of the year, I remember her talking about it last year, like, well, uh, you know, our budgets are so f- I'm, I'm 10 percent below budget. And I'm, and I'm like, well, let's just see where they did the wrong math. Mm-hmm. And they had projected growth somewhere that didn't materialize back in June. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, now the line has gone further astray. Yeah. And, and that happens in the carrier side and the, and the shipper side all the time. You guys just, I mean, nobody can really foresee. Right. And the shippers, too, from yeah. the other side, Yeah, the, when they project their expenses. Here and shipper side, all businesses, yeah. brokerage, all of them, yeah. go through this budgetary process because they have to make one, even though I can't stand the, the practice itself. But you all make one because that's how you forecast how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to reinvest in your company, how mm-hmm. are you going to grow. A lot of us have investors uh, that we need to hit certain targets for, but we, at the end of the day, you need a goal yeah. to set. And something to work for something to work yeah. towards. And you need to figure out a way to measure yourself against that goal. And, you know, futures to me is a beautiful way of really targeting, you know, that, that revenue item. That's <laughs> very accurate. Yeah. yeah. And that revenue item and on the shipper side, that cost target, because every transportation manager I talk to on the shipper side is mm-hmm. not overly concerned about how much they're spending on any individual load. Right. They're more concerned about, well, I had this budget to hit 4% of cost <laughs> or 4% of revenue and I'm worried about being over or under it. Right. Futures, of course, is right. like the answer to that. How many times did you hear uh, <laughs> we were over budget yeah. so I didn't get my bonus or you know, I got fired? Yeah. Worst yeah. case. Yeah. And so easily avoidable. Yeah. I mean, you, and this is a financial um, instrument that you can just play, you can use to hedge yourself against right. all that. Not hedging is the risky behavior. Yeah. It makes, it makes no sense that, I mean, especially if you have the opportunity. I think I was talking to some carriers last year. So, you know, last year, 2019, mm-hmm. uh, we came into, and I have to get used to saying last year a lot because we're so fresh in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were coming out of 2018. Again, everybody thought it was really robust. Did you run into, you know, what were some of the, uh, the challenges with explaining, you know, that, hey, we're coming out of this super robust cycle did you get a lot of feedback on like yeah you know, I hey <laughs> hey this the isn't the right time for me to do this and yet if you understand the instrument it was actually the exact right time to do this yes <laughs> uh carriers were very hesitant to lock it in everyone thought that there would be a recovery right. uh, well, let me just get to produce season let me get to summertime we're going to jump in rates everything will be fine it'll be like 18 all over again uh, and one of the unique aspects of this product is that all seasonality is already priced into the forward curve. So we all know that the uh, price of a truck in June is more than it is in March. Right. That's already there. We don't change the calendar and price just immediately jumps. All the seasonality is baked in. But what I tried to remind carriers at the time was that you need that seasonality. This is something that you need to have to, to maintain your business. If this price that's baked in doesn't materialize, now you're losing money. Your revenues are decreasing. This isn't about making money. This is about removing losses. That is the whole goal with futures. This is not a way to grow your account. We're not trying to make money inside of the market. 
you grow your business by removing the risks and removing the losses inside of it. And, and that's all this is at a time. And, and you and I were speaking earlier off camera about this. That seasonal bump uh, in the summer was already priced in. Yeah. And it didn't materialize. Right. So if you were a carrier, you're running your business at somewhere between 18 and 19 prices while everybody else is doing it 10 to 15 cents lower a mile. That is beyond a competitive advantage. Yeah, to me, it doesn't it doesn't compute that you don't <laughs> jump in on that. I think it was it was kind of like here, take my money, pretty much. Um, and so then the other yeah. the interesting part of that is then when I make that argument, then sometimes I'll ask, well, then why does the shipper do it? The shipper doesn't care. The shipper just wants to know what they're paying. Mm-hmm. If they you tell them, hey, you got to pay ten cents extra a mile, but I guarantee no fail. This is your absolute cost on something. Right. Every shipper says yes. Yeah, and 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 that's a perfect example. Like so. You know, the, the, really the story of the show is the freight recessions. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of the economy is doing fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about our friends, the consumers, mm-hmm. uh, that are helping us out yeah. through, through some of these, you know, hardships, industrial production. Yeah. The American consumer is resilient. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> extremely resilient. And so when that happens, that means that, you know, these shippers are the ones that are dry, deriving a lot of their revenue mm-hmm. from the consumer side. Mm-hmm. So, legitimately they're up there having a good time but they're worried about you know locking in their budgets and that's what they're that number one priority for the transportation departments and because their their business is not in transportation it's in something else Mm -hmm. entirely however the trucking companies the carriers out there this is their business this is what makes them whole (laughs) every year uh, are these revenues and you know coming into or a softer market is one of the worst things ever for a carrier I think especially when you're looking for, I guess, those new carriers that just came online during the 2018 and thinking this is normal. And so, as you mentioned, those Mm -hmm. that when we're finding that new balance, those that are going to be able to really be successful in this new freight industry are going to be those that are taking advantage of new technologies, new innovations. But I can only imagine someone think coming in in 2018, like, oh, this is amazing. Why have I been doing this for years? And then transitioning into 2019, like, hey, what's going on here? I have that conversation all the time. I try and ask people that, you know, or remind them just because this price isn't something you're comfortable with doesn't mean that somebody else isn't. Yeah. So you might not think $1.60 or whatever mile for a lane is something that you can run your business at. Yeah. But Joe Smith down the street can. Yeah. And I think that's really where uh, experience really kind of comes mm-hmm. in a factor because those that have been experienced and in this industry for so many years are going to have no problems making money in an yep. up or down freight industry, they're going to be just fine. It's going to be those newcomers that just got in at, at 2018 or right. maybe they just got in at 17 or something like that that are thinking, you know, what do I do now? How do I make my money? And, and you know, where do I go from here? So Because yeah, they ran their budgets at $2.10 a mile. <laughs> yeah. And now it's, you know, $1.60. Right, right. <laughs> they earmarked when they were buying yeah. the trucks. We'll get 10 more trucks and we're getting 210 a mile on average for it. Right. No, so, yeah, they have some, but at the same time, they can, like you said, they can run on a lot lower overhead. Mm-hmm. They don't have that cost burden. Uh, although those newer trucks did get increases. <laughs> you know, if you went out and bought a new truck, which I don't think a lot of the smaller guys do, uh, they buy used truck prices, which, again, have gone down dramatically over the last several months. Now, we were a little worried about our three-year used truck price early on in the uh, 2019. And this is another point that I think is that needs to be said out there is that we all, sometimes we all see and feel the softening of a market mm-hmm. before, you know, you see the full effect of it. Mm-hmm. It's a very slow process to see things retract, come back down to earth, 
come out of these super overheated spots. Sometimes we see the overheating real fast, but it's it almost operates on a wave. You know, yeah. it's like you got to ride the wave for a little while, and it slowly. Would you say a freight wave? A freight wave. <laughs> <laughs> Pun not intended, but well done. <laughs> um, and, and you know, we saw this expansion continue into 2019. Whereas we were like, "Why would you do that? You mm-hmm. don't stop spending money." But yeah. used truck three year old prices kept going up through June of this year, and we're all kind of like going. I remember doing a little research on it back in February and everybody's like, you're an idiot. There's no way people are buying trucks right now. Well, I was like, well, that's what the data says. (laughs) And they, they propped up those prices because think about the cycle of big spending. Mm -hmm. You don't decide to buy a car on a whim. Yeah. You think about it for a little while. You're like, I can get a few more, you know, years out of this thing. I can get you a few more months out of this thing. And then you, all of a sudden you're, you're saving up over time. You go out, you buy the car. You don't care what the economy is doing right then. Yeah. You had that target, that goal to go buy that thing. And that's exactly what people do with, in trucking or in mm-hmm. business. They mm-hmm. save up. They target their, you know, expansion, mm-hmm. if you will, or entering the market. And then they go do it. Yeah. What happens when they're in there? They're, they're almost like, oh, well, now I'm here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now what? Now what? Exactly. And I think a big part of it is, is not just in trucking, but we've seen it just play out, but also in just business cycle, mm-hmm. when there's an expansion, people are making the wrong moves at the wrong time. It's like, things are great. I'm a, you know, not prep for any kind of contraction or slower growth. But by the time that they're planning for this expansion to take advantage of it, it's already way too late. And now they're stuck in a bad position when things slow down. And right. so it's like a really reactive. Uh, most late to the party. Yeah. The always. easiest way when I have those conversations to explain that to people is uh, housing. Yeah. So those that bought their house really late in the cycle yeah, yeah. and got stuck underwater with it, it's the same thing here with trucks. And, and the other interesting dynamic, and uh, this will be familiar to you, uh, a lot of those smaller carriers are the people that have fewer trucks. You know, they don't have access to contract business, which usually pays more. Mm-hmm. They got to deal with broker loads, and the broker doesn't pay them what they're receiving for the contract. They pay them what the spot market rate is. Yep. So now in 2019 and in 20, that's a pretty low rate. So not only did you add your truck at the wrong time, yeah. but you're getting a lower rate. For, like, <laughs> Much you're, lower. Yeah. You're kind of getting it on both ends. The perfect storm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Anthony, you know, we, we've kind of talked about how the economy didn't go into a recession as a lot of people predicted it mm-hmm. would here towards the end of the year. Uh, we kind of be in this holding pattern. Overall, you know, retail did great. Yeah. I think you hit all of your predictions. This I hit. I went three for three for yeah. my oh. releases. Yeah, so uh, it's beyond the, Hall of Fame. I know. Yeah. I don't so, want to. I don't want to ever do it again. It's no, like, how do I do? It? Be over three now. Exactly. So recap what you got right. So I got uh, retail sales right. So I think that was a pretty easy one, especially yeah. kind of looking at our most recent holiday trends. Um, I got housing starts. I think that was a shocker for many, uh, just because housing starts have been up and down, up and down. I think uh, because that supply side is so weak compared to the demand side, mm-hmm. one of the things I love talking about the home purchasing sentiment yeah, index. My he buddies at feeling. Fannie Mae, I love feeling. <laughs> I love sentiment. Um, so knowing that the demand side was so strong was really what prompted my, um, my, my, I guess inkling that home uh, housing starts are going to increase in the next month. Um, also. One of the other things that happened in December was kind of unseasonably warm. Mm-hmm. So that really allowed for more activity as well. 
Um, the other thing I got right was industrial production going down. Well, that's not a big shock. It's not a big shock, <laughs> but people were shocked for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember you saying that last week. Yeah, you people were really be, yeah. shocked for some reason, especially with the further contraction when the PMI, the Purchasing Managers mm-hmm. Index. Um, so, yeah, three for three. So what do you think that's going to do uh, here leading into the first half of the year? I mean, we, we're the industrial side weak, uh, housing market still strong, retail yeah. strong, but it's yeah. not the retail and we're not quite to that housing yeah, it's time not, of the year. Not that season just yet. And so I think it's really going to start us off with a slow start to 2020, mm-hmm. um, especially when we're looking at manufacturing. There are some small little um, shining lights that I can kind Always of Always looking there. for the optimism. I'm looking for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm searching hard for those optimism. And so when I find difficulty in finding those little shining stars, that's when I know, like, all right, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little tough out here. Yeah. Um, so one of those shining stars, I think, is going to come from... Uh, Non-defense capital goods, new orders, so business-to-business mm. activity. I'm I'm thinking that might come a little bit, uh, gain some momentum in the coming months, and so I think that might come online by the second half of 2020. Okay. Um, but when you're looking at industrial production, when you're looking at manufacturing new orders or the PMI, um, new orders have been contracting for some time, and that's going to give you a, a forward outlook of what's going to happen in manufacturing. And so seeing where ha- what's happening with new orders, those declining, when you're down on new orders, you start drawing from your backlog. Those are also coming down. Um, and it's not really being, a, a, there's not a lot of catalysts except for, you know, we had the phase one deal. So that maybe that might spur some activity here. But there haven't been a lot of catalysts. And I don't see any catalysts really coming online until really second quarter, late second quarter into that mid-2020 timeline. Um, so that's really going to put a lot of emphasis on the consumer side if there was enough already um but at the same Max time out the credit card exactly and that's 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 the bad thing we don't want we want to play both sides we want the consumer to be spending but we don't want them overextending themselves and now they're in a poor place and so right. um literally yeah literally <laughs> <laughs> literally and so that, those are going to be the trends i'm going to be watching in the first half of 2020 but i definitely expect a, a slower start to the year yeah i think i don't think that's a hard uh Thing to see at least at this mm-hmm. point you know we are seeing you know again back to the whole idea of the freight recession you know you need two consecutive quarters of contraction um, arguably the traditional cycle for a freight recession uh, lasts anywhere from about you know you've got I think most of them last for a period of six to 19 months mm-hmm. I believe is the range um, and we saw roughly a six to nine month one depending on who you who you look at yeah. uh, in terms of you know in terms of our data it was for sure 6 months uh but i think you can argue a 9 month uh in there as well yeah um so we were on the low end of what we would call a, f- a freight recession yeah in terms of what that happens but at the same time our recovery hasn't been quite robust muted yeah it's yeah. uh you and know that's why i kind of drift into that maybe this is the new normal yeah mm-hmm. well the you know it doesn't take a lot to send the the market into it. That's true. <laughs> I mean, we saw that in 2018. We actually, so the previous freight recession, 2016-ish, uh, in that in that range, uh, that whole year was really, it, it actually started at the end of 2015 and lasted uh, through most of 2016. Probably towards the end of 2016 is when you really started to see some actual year-over-year uh, positive. Mm-hmm. And um, that was about a 12-month cycle. And... You know, arguably early 2017 wasn't great. 
Um, it took. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah, it took a while to get those volumes. It just got they got easier comps. Mm. So it technically wasn't a freight recession in early 2017, even yeah. though the market had not. It did not feel that way. Rates weren't going up. A lot of people confuse rates again. Going back to that yep. theme, with the uh, you know they they you, you know if we're making two dollars and twenty cents a mile versus the dollar sixty you made last year. That's yeah. no. The hurricane did not pull you out of a you know a bad ongoing situation. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we did have those two hurricanes and we had a, that produce season that year mm-hmm. was tremendous. You got in right on yeah. the tip of that. <laughs> um, and well, I guess it was 2017 that the produce season was tremendous. And then 2018 was a product of just a super hot market. Um, and you know, the economy, uh, all that capital expenditure mm-hmm. stuff really spurred on the economy with the tax, uh, breaks tax benefits, a lot yeah. of, a lot of, a co- lot of companies invested in the future. And we just don't have that this year. Right. You know, we're not, we're not seeing, you know, actually in more of that uncertain ground, especially with it being an election year, depending on where you land on that side. But most people don't want to take a big risk. Right. I, I think there are more uncertainties and certainties right now. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, when you have less that is known, that's deflationary in price. If if you're in your old role trying to budget and plan and there's less that you have to, to deal with from a certainty level, you're going to be a little more cautious and conservative with what you're doing. Um, you know, that's not expansionary. Right. That might plan. You can then make the argument. Maybe that means people start cutting back on purchases of new trucks. Maybe we do decrease capacity. I don't know. But that's counterintuitive because then maybe we're decreasing in volumes as well. I mean, the two play out in any way, in any scenario you want to think of. But. I don't know of anything for sure that says we are moving higher in rates. If anything, I think there are more arguments to be made that this is it mm. or maybe 19 or 20 looks more like 19 than, than the modest recovery people are seeing. Right. I, I, th- I think what we're on from trend- a price standpoint. Sure. For sure. But even from a volume, we can, we can we really think that 2020 is going to have greater volumes than, than 2019. It's hard to see. One of the arguments that people are making though, is that, um, since people took 2019 off <laughs> from spending money, uh, especially on capital expenditure, they're, they're going to eventually have to spend their money and it's not necessarily going to be seen on the front end of 2020, but more the back, back end, end. Yep. uh, which makes sense. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of knowing that that's legitimately how we used to operate yeah. and like, you know, my experience and got the money earmarked for it. You got to use it or lose it. Yeah. You don't want to like, you don't just sit on it. I mean, you can pay out bonuses, but that doesn't do your company any good, really. Right. I mean, it makes everybody happier. But at this point in time, you know, unemployment rates around, so low. Yeah, around three five, I think. So yeah. that that actually might not be a bad move for some of those companies. But again, the bonuses themselves, uh, everybody starts to think once you get a high bonus, they expect it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you now you set the baseline yeah. as high every year. So it's actually better to improve some more long run, you know, benefits. And, and things like that that help people, you know, increase their salary a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't necessarily give them a one-time payout, but bump up their consistent mm-hmm. salary. Mm-hmm. You actually can save money that way. Yeah. Um, instead of taking your windfall and being like, hey. Yeah, yeah. Even though I all know it's a one-time thing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and other benefits, you know, just making the workplace a happier place um, and really kind of helping with that retention because we're seeing with this low employment rate that consumers are confident. Um, and they're feeling confident about finding other positions. And yeah. so they are the turnover costs with the yeah, new employee hire. You huge. talk to a lot of brokers out there. I do. So what are you, uh, what are you hearing about, you know, it is a 
the attrition rates at brokerages are super high. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. And like, are, are you seeing or hearing anything that's changing that? Have you heard any like real cool ways that people are trying to combat that? Or um, Some of the more forward thinking uh, brokerages try and repurpose or take someone whose position maybe isn't needed or is no longer necessary uh, and put them in a different department or, or something just to retain them. Nobody wants to really fire anyone. Sure. But, uh, you know, part of for the reasons that we were talking about earlier with this increase in, in automation, uh, there is some redundancies in some departments, um, mm -hmm. not to mention the recent trend of uh, offshoring or nearshoring, whatever you want to call yeah, it, that's right. picking up steam. So uh, when the margins are being compressed and the revs are coming down, companies start making cuts in, in personnel and in headcount. Um, I have heard of a lot of the people we talk to, they do try and repurpose, but some are, are flat out letting them go. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, what plays out in my head is the question of, are these people ever going to return to the freight workforce or are we now moving in an area where that position isn't necessary anymore? Sure. Uh, we can think of all the companies that we know of that are doing automated matching and automated quoting. Okay, you're removing <laughs> the human component. Uh, that, that person from carrier sales doesn't need to come back now. That person on the pricing desk doesn't need to come back now. Um, you know, they used to, maybe you could go down to the accounting department, but that's in Columbia. Right. <laughs> do you think that's, I mean, do you think that's going to catch, you know, does, do you think that momentum is going to carry uh, forward? Do you think they can yes. legitimately keep that going? Well, if enough people are doing it, if enough companies are employing these these tasks, I shouldn't use employing as a word, I guess, right. in the sense. <laughs> um, if you're lowering your overhead and then you can offer a cheaper rate to the customer and still survive as a business profitably, mm -hmm. your competition has to do something or do the same. Uh, you know, unless something changes, uh, it's keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Wow. Yeah. So margins are coming down. I can say that with certainty. Oh yeah. We've seen it. I mean, all, all across the board, yep. uh, you know, we watch CH Robinson, you know, go through their thing and, uh, you know, other brokerages as well. Um, it's not a, it's not a secret at this point that right. the spot market's a lot cooler. Revenues are down across the board. We're getting guidances from, you know, all of the bigger companies before earnings saying like, Hey guys, don't, don't expect a big, <laughs> a big fourth quarter result from us. Uh, we saw it in our tender rejection rate. So mm -hmm. my two predictions for the week, which are of course my two specialties, the tender volume and tender rejection. Yeah, uh, I was, I was, ac I was right technically. Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually going to pull back a little bit and give myself a half point. Okay. Uh, on the, uh, on the rejection side, just because we were down, but we weren't down significantly. Like mm -hmm. capacity did not loosen like i thought it would here in the first uh part of the week yeah you know it was we're still coming out of that christmas that holiday thing you know a lot of drivers are still like they're on furlough or they're just not operating at this point in time you know a lot of carriers will send people into you know paid leave mm -hmm. if yeah. you will uh, to an extent just to keep their operating costs down uh, as much as they possibly can because you don't want to fire a driver right um talk about attrition rates yeah uh, it's just not something, and especially moving into the early part of 2020, we've got increasing amounts of regulation that's going to, you know, be a lot harder to hire a driver now, especially mm -hmm. with all the safety concerns. Uh, we've written numerous articles here over the past week or two about the rising insurance costs. Oh man. And the things that, I mean, that's legitimately, in my opinion, out of control. And I don't think there's much that carriers can't really do much about this. I mean, and it, and it shows in the numbers in terms there's of one thing. 
we'll get it. I'm going to ask your opinion on just a second. (laughs) I'll set the stage and then I'm going to let you nail it home. And so, you know, in my mind, there's just not a lot they can do Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the traditional methods, if you will, of practicing safety. Uh, Some of these technological things can help. But at the same time, um, the, the stats are showing that carriers are increasingly safe, but the insurance costs are still going up. Right. And a lot of that has to do with the legal ramifications. Their liability is unlimited almost. Mm-hmm. And so with that being the case in these legal battles, and again, this kind of, it's back to the old, um, you know, tort law, civil suit type thing. It's not necessarily that they're being convicted of homicide or anything like that, but a civil court will find these companies liable for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of damage. And again, I'm not trying to put like a low cost on life or anything like that, but Traditionally, people do not treat trucking companies, carriers like they are, you know, practicing safely. Like they just see this big vehicle and I've been cut off by a truck (laughs) before and I get mad at them. But a lot of the times uh, the courts made up of juries of people like me or not necessarily that I would be that way, but where they're all they know in their head is that, you know, they had a truck cut them off one time. And then so they will find for the defendants, et cetera, amounts, which Again, you could get into that whole area of like how much is life worth? Is this the way that it needs to be, et cetera? But there is no limit on our, you know, our tort law out there where you can get, you know, that woman that made, you know, and I'm not trying to trivialize uh, the safety segment by any means, but, you know, there was the lady that sued for McDonald's for like a million dollars in the 80s for the hot coffee. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're, there's almost like there needs to be a cap because at some point the insurance companies, they don't make money in these situations either. No, they just have to charge you enough. And carriers of course are their own insurance companies to an extent they'll reserve a bunch of money back for these things, but there's just not enough that you can reserve or insure for over time where the costs just get too exponential. So that being said, Kyle, let me know (laughs) what do you think they should do? Well, if you can, uh, self-insure, that's the easiest way around it. Um, but unfortunately, most companies uh, aren't in that position. If right. we think about it from the number standpoint, you know, everybody gives me a hard time. But my favorite stat, uh, 91% of all truck companies are six or less. Right. Those guys aren't self-insuring. But Now explain explain what that means. Which part? 91%? No, no. Self-insure. I, so there are larger companies um, that have the cash reserves to do it. Um, start their own insurance company. You know, if you're XYZ trucking, you open XYZ insurance and you insure your own trucks instead of paying the premiums to whichever insurance companies. Right. Uh, if we hold all companies equal, which for the most part, they are like you're saying for the most part, truck companies are safe. There isn't some huge number of of accidents and deaths going on out there. So if you can save some money by not having to pay these exorbitant premiums that we're seeing, you know, this is another area where you're becoming more competitive and more aggressive perceivably in your rates to customers and you're going to absorb some market share that you're losing out to these other companies. For sure. And that, and that's effectively what insurance is, right? Is they just take your money and put it in an annuity (laughs) or or put it into some form of investment that they can, you know, or they may even sell it. Yeah. Um, And that's how they make their money is it's basically like a banking function. Like I think most people think that it's just this, they just hold on to your money over time and then they spend it when you get it. Yeah. No, they, they try to make money on your money, and you actually have that same ability yep. to do the exact same thing. They could go to State Farm and just say, hey, I want to invest in your mutual fund instead of paying you insurance, yeah. and then they get the return on the investment you know, versus you know, 
ignoring transaction fees and that kind of stuff. And there's other little details in there. But I, I know arguably one of the things that we had to do, we were insured and self-insured. We kept money back on reserve, uh, which is what that is. You're just reserving mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. Uh, for a rainy day for whatever reason. And the government allows you to do that uh, to an extent for, you know, proper gap procedures. But that I think you get that to is, collect the interest instead of the insurance company, though. Exactly. You could do the same thing today yeah. with life insurance yeah. if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. There's just I mean, you could actually do it with tax benefit if you if you were savvy about it. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's that's a little bit more tricky. Yeah. <laughs> Um, to get into, and I'm certainly not going to play the financial advisor. <laughs> uh, not on here. I'm not licensed. So <laughs> on this episode of Fredonomics, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that is. I think that is pretty valuable advice, though. I mean, the uh, the fact that you can go out there self insure, especially smaller guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the 91 percent that you mentioned, um, they don't understand that function. Uh, they're not accountants. They're truckers. Uh, they're operators. Mm-hmm. Very good at driving a truck across the road safely not necessarily at managing their money. Um, right. And that's, you know, again, back to this whole, how do you weather these type of storms? You have to be financially savvy. And, you know, Kyle, you and I were talking about this earlier, about how there is, appears to be, at least from our experience, you know, um, a lack of interest in the financial mm-hmm. side of things. You know, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of the carriers have a lot of accountants, uh, you know, and a lot of people that are very good with numbers and money, a lot of invoices, a lot of invoices and a lot of people that are good at making things efficient, uh, and smooth, but they're not necessarily interested in taking too many risks or chances. They're not trying to get too crazy with their analytics and try to identify mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities out there that may exist. Because if you think about it, these guys make five cents on the dollar. Yeah. They they just can't afford to take a lot of risks in their day-to-day life. No, there's very little margin for error in this. Exactly. But there's there's still plenty of stuff out there that they can do that isn't that risky. You know, just like you said, self-insuring, not necessarily that risky. If you're putting the same money back, yeah. they, you have access to the same features that these insurance companies have. You can put that money in the exact same spot, making a return on it. You just have to be disciplined enough to do it. <laughs> Proper budgeting, hedging your... Uh, your revenues via freight futures. Yeah, no, and, it's all yeah, there for you. And, and and again, I'm not trying to be like a commercial, but freight futures are exactly that same type of function yeah. for your revenue. It's like revenue insurance, if you will. Yeah. And I can't say that technically, but it's <laughs> you know, it is not revenue insurance, no. but it is it is a way that you can effectively control your what your revenue expectation is right. through a very legitimate feature, um, and. I, I think that there's there's enough things out there right now that, uh, you know, carriers can take advantage of this. Just think a little bit outside the box. Um, you know, we've got, you know, the economy's not dying. It's not going through a recession. You know, we've got the industrial production that is still struggling to get through. It's lacking. Is there anything other than, you know, some of this defense spending uh, that you see changing here in the near future? I know the new orders has not been... Uh, so not a lot, um, not a lot coming through. I think uh, just that that business to business activity. That's what I'm kind of mm-hmm. seeing, kind of coming, starting to come online a little bit. Um, I am. Go- I was watching defense spending a little bit closely over the last couple of weeks uh, to see how it's going to shape up this uh, release. But um, there's not a lot of catalysts really, especially when we're looking at forward leading or leading indicators, forward looking indicators like the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index. Mm-hmm. 
not showing a lot of promise. Um, I think consensus estimates are expecting some upward movement in the next month's release. I don't know if they're going to be disappointed once again. Um, But one of the things to note was uh, in the most recent industrial production number, there was a decline, not a surprise. But the surprise is there was an increase in manufacturing Ah. slightly for the month. Um, the, the, the drastic decline came from because industrial production is made up of manufacturing, mining, utilities. Utilities really took a mm. huge hit, um, especially during for the warmer weather. And uh-huh. so that really was enough to bring overall industrial production down. Okay. Um, but when we're looking at the manufacturing side, there was a, a nice little blip um, in December. But a little glimmer. A little glimmer, <laughs> but I don't have any faith in it. Oh, man. Well, you know, and the oil, uh, the oil sector has been super confusing. Yes. And, you know, there was, I've done a little bit of research on this, obviously not the expert on it, like our John Kingston is. Yes. But the, uh, you know, the oil market, especially the global oil market, really tends to push a lot of industrial growth and uh, in mm-hmm. production, especially in the, in the United States over the last several years as we've become mm-hmm. a leading producer of oil. Um, and we're seeing something really strange happen, which is the price of oil go down. Yeah. <laughs> As everybody's expecting it to go the exact opposite direction. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know. I'll, yeah, I, I only smirk because uh, I spent the greater part of my life uh, trading. And it's whenever anybody or when everybody thinks one thing, yeah. I always want to do the other. Yeah. Well, at, you know, do you have an opinion on why this is happening or do you know? Yeah, because everybody thought it was going higher. Okay. <laughs> it's just well, what you do when you think it's going higher. You, you get long. So you start yep. the price move in that direction. And then when it doesn't materialize or there aren't enough people to continue that movement. Mm-hmm. The opposite happens. Okay. So it, it literally could just be a speculation at this point that's driving. So that, um, I mean, if you guys, can we put an end to IMO? Can, can we finally <laughs> nail on that non-event? They, I mean, they keep calling it a, it's it's going to eventually show up in the stocks and supplies. And I know it's an issue in the Pacific. Right. Uh, I think I read it was close to 100% increase in price for uh, Singapore mm-hmm. ports. Yes, uh, it's it that, but that's going to be no different than anything. It, that is a legitimate, real-world example of supplies in a, in a particular right. area. Uh, but from a, a larger scale rollout, uh, anyone who wanted to hedge this ahead of time had ample runway to do they it. Did it? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like they announced, "Hey, guys, in two weeks, you got to change the uh, sulfur content." Uh, I think it's a little overblown, but yeah, oil prices coming down. It, that does at least give somewhat of a glimmer to hope for some of these carriers in our, in our little world. Right. Um, you know, what was the last, uh, ATRI for the average cost on a truck? Was it a dollar 81? Oh, I thought it was a dollar 65. Dollar 69 was, was the previous one. And then in October they had the update to it and it went up again. So I, some relief at the pump, I think would help some of these guys. If you're getting squeezed on and your, your money coming in is down and now your money going out is up. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, no, the costs are definitely, I mean, they've gone up even, I mean, again, like you said, the consumer side of the economy mm-hmm. is robust. It's the service side. It's doing great. That means that all of these things that you are paying for are getting their rate increases, whereas all the carriers are giving rate decreases yeah. or they're coming down off the rates of last year. Yeah. And that's going to put a pretty nice little squeeze on your margins. And it looks like it's going to last into early 2020 here, at least looks for like the it. near term. Uh, but we do have some supply side things. That may change that here in the future. I mean, especially these people that tried out running their truck for a year, said, you know what? This wasn't what I bought. (laughs) I'm just going to sell this bad boy for about 40% of the cost that I bought it for. And 
and and turn in my keys and move on. And I think that's going to continue. I think that's going to be a long running. The theme of the year mm-hmm. is going to be that supply side correction. And inevitably, Kyle, you know that this is going to happen. There's going to be some catalyst yep. that we cannot foresee. You know, we have all the macroeconomic data we want. We have all the information we want. And there's going to be something that basically breaks us out like it did in 2017. Right. Uh, it is. It, and, and the longer that we are in this stable, this flat market, it is without a question. That'll be the harder the breakout will be. Right. Because everybody will be lined up with their, they'll have their infrastructure, they'll have their trucks exactly where they want them, they'll have everything right, as efficient as you possibly can have it, mm. uh, super tight. Because what happens in flattered down markets? Everybody cuts costs, get really precise. You see this on the railroads, mm-hmm. precision scheduled railroading. <laughs> the what? Well, the problem with precision is that it is precise, yeah. <laughs> and there is no room for error. Nope. You can't fluctuate up or down and expect to have the same result. Mm-hmm. And so if the market does have a moment out there where all of a sudden everybody's like, you know what, I'm done with this. Hurricanes come riding up the Gulf or, you know, the oil market goes haywire. Any one of these little things, black swans, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them, which will happen without fail. It's like predicting an earthquake in California. (laughs) You know, uh, the market will go into turmoil again. So a hundred percent agree. I I try and make that argument all the time to people that, uh, you know, first, just because we, have stopped going lower in price doesn't mean we're going to start going higher. But all of the conditions you would want for a rally are here. Yep. We do need a catalyst, but because we've been flat for so long, the velocity of that increase is going to be severe. Yeah. The longer you're, you're flat to down, ugh, the higher that trajectory mm-hmm. is. Uh, that stable little line up gradually doesn't exist no. a lot. <laughs> so, Anthony, do you have a have something you want to discuss here at the end as we close out uh, our our freightonomics oh, for this goodness. week don't do this to me and, and exactly. kyle and kyle can chime in i know you've you know you spent your time alienating most of our audience yeah and i think your hatred of kyle cheese. would be along my demographic of the same line of thinking with deep dish pizza being he actually, vastly overrated we actually talked about this he's not he's not totally opposed to okay. your line of thought there but okay. bacon and cheese both overrated he's a big fan Okay. Both can't like, like most of America. All right. All right. Most um, of the world. I like really. lettuce too, though. But if I had to pick, bacon or cheese are way better than lettuce. But I do agree. Uh, 